1059 The Region, in partnership with REMAX Prime Properties, present On The Market, real estate advice that works for you. Have a real estate question? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us at info at 1059theregion.com. This is 105.9 The Region. I'm Tina Cortez with On The Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. Our expert and the owner of REMAX Prime Properties is Asif Khan. Good morning, Asif. Good morning, Tina. Now, Asif, you wanted to start today's show with a discussion about mortgage fraud. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, over the last few weeks, it's uh, kind of taken the forefront. And, uh, you know, a lot of stories have come out about realtors facilitating mortgage fraud along with uh, mortgage brokers that help clients or buyers qualify for mortgages that they should not qualify for. And it's something that needs to be stopped. It's something that uh, both the financial industry and the real estate industry need to take seriously and get out of our industries. Okay, so describe what happens in these cases. So in particular, in these cases, what's happened is people have approached a realtor, uh, they have jointly discovered that they may not qualify for a mortgage to purchase the house that they would like to, and they in turn have been referred to mortgage brokers that work alongside these realtors to create false documents. So it could be false job letters, T4s, uh, it could be NOAs. And the buyers have paid to have these documents created to make it look like they do qualify for these mortgages. And that in itself is fraud. So how exactly was this caught? There were a few reports of uh, real estate agents that had been conducting this type of business. Uh, there was a... a, a hidden camera report done and uh, they went to these agents specifically targeting them, uh, made them aware that these people would not qualify for a mortgage and pretty much in every instance the realtor said, don't worry, we can take care of this, we have people that will do this, you have to pay them X amount in order to get qualified for this purchase and uh, and you'll be the owner of this home. And, you know, it was painted to for the buyers to become victims in this. However, when you're paying for a service like that, when you're paying for a fraud, you can't be painted as a victim. And so who wins and who is the victim in these situations? It would be the banks because I think the banks are not aware that these documents were created or, you know, in most situations, the bank underwriters are not aware that uh, these are fraudulent documents. And if these people go in and they have no means of paying for this home or interest rates rise like we've seen and they can't pay for these homes, then the bank is out a lot of money because now the bank has to recover that property and try to sell it to protect their best interest. So at the end of the day, the banks become the victims. Uh, you know, the, the buyers, they'll lose their deposit if... Uh, or they'll lose their home. But they facilitated this by paying for this. And this does not reflect well on the real estate industry. It really doesn't. It really is a black mark across the industry because 
this is, uh, you know, as a realtor, you're put in a position of trust and you have to be able to guide buyers honestly. And you're not really doing the buyer any favors by putting them in a situation where they may not be able to afford the property. It's better to tell the buyer the truth to say, hey, you know what, right now you may qualify for a one or two bedroom condo, but in time, uh, when you get a better job or a better paying job, and when you have more saved up, you may be qualifying for that three bedroom or four bedroom property. So it's much better to make sure your buyers are buying within their means rather than put them in a situation to fail. And how do you make sure that this doesn't happen again or continue to happen? You know, there's lots of talk, Tina, about our industry uh, watchdogs stepping up uh, in terms of the Real Estate Council of Ontario or the Canadian Real Estate Association, um, local real estate boards, uh, stepping up to make sure that this doesn't happen. However, I think this starts at the grassroots. I think... If you're an owner of a brokerage, if you're a broker of record, you need to step up and start firing these agents before it gets to that point. And we need to take matters into our own hands and and bring that disciplinary action ourselves and then have it furthered by the real estate councils. So do I understand this correctly then? There is no disciplinary body in real estate? There is. The Real Estate Council of Ontario is... uh, the prevalent one in Ontario. And, uh, you know, they do do a good job. They, they're they backed up, uh, obviously, with lots of different cases because they're getting from complaints from realtors, from the public. Um, so, But before it even gets to them, I, I think if broker owners are firing agents that are, you know, perceived to be committing this fraud, it takes them out of the game and starts to... That's the first step in protecting the public. After that, uh, they can always provide the details to the Real Estate Council of Ontario. But at the same time, when fraud is prevalent in, in the industry as, as it was made out to be here, it's also a police case. This is fraud. This is a federal offense. And uh, I think there's different levels that have to be involved working together to get this out of the industry. Do you think it's just too easy to get a real estate license? You know, they've made changes to that process, and and now you have to go to Humber College and register for the courses. However, it it is fairly easy compared to some other licenses where, uh, you know, you're comparing having to go in for a two-, three-year program versus, you know, at Humber College, you can get a real estate license within a year. So is it too easy? I I would say yes. Uh, I would say that although we have made changes to the process to try and make it more difficult, it's still too easy. And that's why you see the number of agents uh, licensed uh, as we have over over the COVID period. We had a huge influx because it was, you know, people were either sitting at home and they had nothing to do. They took their real estate courses. They thought it was easy money. There's a lot more that goes into, uh, you know, uh, selling real estate than just having that license. And there's a, a huge misconception in a lot of people's minds that, uh, they think it's easy money. There's a lot of work. If you're doing it properly, if you're protecting the public, there's a lot of work that goes into that. And unfortunately, through COVID, when all the courses were just simply online, a lot of people missed out on the education they need to protect the public properly. And what happens to agents convicted of mortgage fraud? They should be sent packing. They should be fired and never allowed to enter the industry again. 
And I think that's going to be a huge step. And quite frankly, I don't understand why an agent would want to risk their career by trying to facilitate mortgage fraud or facilitate a fraudulent transaction when they know that for ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in income, they're going to be losing their career. Uh, I think the penalty should be stiffer. I think people should be banned from the industry, and I think the investigation has to dig deeper to find out at what level this fraud went to. Was it just the realtor? Was it the mortgage broker as well as the realtor? Are there underwriters involved? Are there lawyers involved? So I think there has to be uh, an investigation put into place as to where this is coming from and where it's going. So is that what you see as sort of next steps for your industry? I really do. I think it's time for especially the broker owners and brokers of records at brokerages to step up and take matters into their own hands and eliminate the problem. After the break, the province promises to build more homes faster. The how-tos, that's coming up. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's radio real estate show. Over to my co-host and our real estate expert, Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties with today's guest. Asif. Thank you, Tina. Our next guest is Michael Parsa, Ontario's Associate Minister of Housing. Minister Parsa, welcome to On the Market. Hi, Asif. Thank you very much. Uh, great to be here with you. Now, Minister, a very exciting news uh, about a week ago for buyers and trying to solve the housing crisis in Ontario by building 1.5 million new homes in the next 10 years. Tell our listeners a little bit about this announcement. Yeah, thanks, Asif. Yes, it's a very exciting time. So, so right now in Ontario, Asif, as I don't have to tell you, you and your listeners will know we're in a housing crisis here in the province. We are. We have made a commitment to the people in the last election just four months ago that, uh, you know, study, study, study after study tells us that we are about a, a, just under half a million short of homes as it is. In the next 10 years, as you can imagine with immigration, our population growing, we're going to need about a million more homes. So that puts us about a, a million and a half homes that we're going to need in the next 10 years to be able to adequately house people. And, um, and as a result, we made a commitment to Ontarians that we'll be introducing a housing uh, bill every year to be able to address some of the challenges and to really expedite the process, which is why when we uh, introduced this bill uh, last Tuesday, um, it was as a result of consultations with stakeholders, people that are involved. For us to be able to increase the supply of housing, it, uh, it's to build more homes. It was to address reducing um, costs, fees, taxes, really to streamline the process of them and, and, and to be able to help home buyers and, and renters who have really, when you look at the dream of home ownership, it's falling more and more out of reach for more, more Ontarians. And to me, to our government, that's just not acceptable. And uh, we're, we're going to be working with uh, our partners, whether it's the federal government, local government, um, the private sector, nonprofit, all, you know, the builders, everyone involved 
every single person, all hands on deck for us to be able to solve the crisis that we're in right now. Minister, you said all hands on deck, and I guess that also includes many parts of this legislation, including building more homes near transit. How does that help in terms of solving the housing crisis? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. So when you're looking at, when you think about density around transit, so what, what we want is to have, if you're going to have transit, which if you can think of, for example, in the, the four transit uh, that, that we have uh, put forward, the Young North, for example, let's just uh, let's talk about that one because you're in York region. You know, you're going to have a lot more density around transit so the people can just walk over and be able to take the subway to get to and from work. And to do that, we need to have, uh, it just makes sense for us to be able to put density around uh, transit stations for people. And Minister, there's going to be some changes for inclusionary zoning. Tell our listeners a little bit about what inclusionary zoning is and what the changes would be. Yeah, so, I mean, this, it's a tool um, that municipalities can use to, to require residential developments to include affordable housing, basically. Uh, you know, when we talk about uh, housing, Tina, uh, both yourself and Asif, we're talking about, we're, we're just lack in the entire housing continuum. So we need to make sure we talk about attainable housing, we're talking about rental housing. So this will just be a tool that we will utilize to be able to cut, as I said, fees and taxes to be able to promote, um, you know, more affordable housing units to come in the market as well. And can you take us through what you think the impact will be of streamlining the process? Yeah, so I'll give you some examples. For example, we're uh, we're talking about, we're proposing to remove the site plan requirements for projects with fewer fewer than 10 units. Um, Another thing is to speed up the decision-making, for example, at the uh, the OLT. And that's going to be able to help us increase the supply by prioritizing cases, uh, Tina, that are going to be shovel-ready across uh, the province. And again, that will help us with all sorts of supply right across the province. And it's a pretty bold step for the government to take uh, with regards to the announcement and also the changes that have been tabled. Have you seen anything like this in the past, and is this the first of its kind? Asif, we're in a housing crisis in the province, and uh, it's going to require bold actions for us to be able to address and for us to be able to get out of these crises. And, and look, we, through the decisions that were made in the past, the bills that have been put forward, remember this is the third housing supply action plan that our government has put forward. The other two have shown they work. If you look at the housing starts um, in, in Ontario in 2021, we had record number of housing starts. So in Ontario, we had over 100,000 starts um, in 2001. The last time we had such numbers was back in 1987. That also helped us with also rental units, the purpose-built rentals. That was also the highest. So we had 13,000 housing starts uh, started in 2021. Again, the last time we had seen these numbers were back in 20, um, sorry, in, in 1991. You do the math, at even at, at a record number um, office, it's not going to get us to 1.5 million homes. At 100,000 a year, it's not going to get us there. So we need to make, we need to take some bold actions, make decisions that's going
going to uh, to get us to 1.5 million homes because, as I said, we've made a commitment to the people, and letting the people down, letting the future generation down, is just not going to be an option. And also, one other thing, we've also, like I said, made a commitment that we're going to be introducing a, a bill um, every year to be able to address the issue. So this is now, we're going to continue looking at ways, continue to consult, and find other ways to be able to help with supply uh, over the next few years. And there was an announcement by the federal government earlier this week that Canada will welcome half a million immigrants by the year 2025. Do you think this housing plan then is enough for Ontario? So if you look at study after study, Tina, it tells us again that we're, not, we're in a housing deficit right now. The supply that we currently have is just not about uh, two, more than 200,000 new Canadians are coming into Ontario every day. Um, and we need to make sure that we have all types of available uh, housing available to, uh, to all Ontarians. You know, when you're looking at, again, newcomers coming in, my family, when they immigrated here, the dream of uh, home ownership was within reach. And that isn't the case right now. And we just got to make sure that we don't let them down. They come here with hopes and aspirations. Um, they make our communities better. They contribute in every way. Uh, and we need to make sure that we don't let them down. So we're going to continuously looking at, look at ways, work with our partners to make sure that uh, we have the adequate supply to meet the demand uh, you know, when they do arrive. And, and part of that will require making sure that we have um, the skilled trade to be able to build the homes. And, and I, I, you know, I can't thank Minister uh, Monty McNaughton, who's doing a great job at, at emphasizing the importance of uh, skilled trades across the province to make sure that you know, we have uh, the tradespeople to be able to build these homes that we're going to need. And part of that could be addressed uh, through immigration as well. Great news indeed, Minister. Now, one of the things that uh, we're dealing with when we're speaking to our buyers is the increase in development charges by municipalities or certain areas where that's being passed along to the end user through the builder. Is there any uh, plans to address that and really bring affordability to the table? Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at development charges, I, I, I don't have to tell you, and your listeners would know, these charges are passed on directly to the consumer. And these are high fees that are contributing to the price of uh, housing right now. I mean, you can see studies that talk about, you know, somewhere upwards of uh, $50,000, dollars $80,000 added to the price of a unit. And, uh, and that's what we're looking at. Again, when I was doing my consultations office across the province with my colleague, Minister Clark, and our the parliamentary assistant, Kevin Holland, we heard this repeatedly, that it's the timeline, the, the, the process of how long it takes to get approvals, as well as the fees and charges, which is why we wanted to address both. We wanted to make sure we cut down on the timeline so that we can speed up and expedite the process, but also make sure that some of the fees are either reduced or removed uh, for specific years. For example, I can tell you reducing development charges for um, a, a one-bedroom, there'll be a 15% reduction in charge. If it's a two-bedroom, there'll be, there'll be a 20% reduction in, in D.C., and if it's a three-bedroom, it'll be a 25% reduction. Uh, that will help us, again, not only with the process, but to get more housing supply in the market. And that's fantastic news for buyers. Mr. Parsha, thanks so much for joining us. For those that missed the announcement, where can they find it? So if you actually go on Ontario.ca, you, uh, you should be able to see it. 
or uh, you can also uh, contact me directly uh, at uh, if you, on my email, which is michael.parsa at ontario.ca, and I'd be more than happy to uh, to provide that information to to anyone. Or if you have any specific questions about the bill, be, be, I'd be more than happy to address it. That's great. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Asif, Tina, thank you both. I really appreciate it. When we come back, your questions for Asif Khan. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market. Time now for our email questions, and we begin with Robert in Thornhill. He's heard the horror stories about landlords trying to evict bad tenants. What does he do now before he rents his property out to protect himself and his investment? Asif, what are your thoughts? That's a great question, Robert. And you know what? There are some horror stories out there, and quite often, these horror stories are caused by professional tenants. And, and by that, what we mean is tenants that know exactly what they can get away with, exactly how they can stay in a property without paying. And, and that causes a lot of concern and grief for landlords. The, the best way to protect yourself is have a professional uh, property management company or a realtor conduct the search for you for the possible the prospective tenant because they're going to be looking into a lot of the things that are red flags. Quite often, people will just put up their property on Kijiji or Facebook Marketplace and think they can find the right tenant. But uh, again, even as realtors, we've heard so many horror stories. And and when when we get involved after the fact, it really is hard to get rid of that tenant because uh, the Landlord-Tenant Act really does protect tenants and not landlords, which is unfortunate. The other thing is there's so much of a backup at the board itself that uh, it does take a long time to be able to evict a tenant and, and the tenant could damage a property and, and cause thousands of dollars of damage to the property, which could end up in the landlord having to sell the property. And so I would say it starts right at the beginning. It starts doing the search when you're looking for a, the right tenant. So make sure that we're covering all the bases checking credit, checking past history. You never want to call the last landlord. You want to call the the one before the last landlord or two landlords ago because the if you, there's a problem tenant, the landlord that they're with right now is going to want them to move out, so they're going to just say, yes, great tenant, take them on. But you want to go back and, and do some research, talk to their employer, find out who they are, maybe have some reference checks conducted, Make sure you're covering all the bases. It sounds like a thorough check is really required because, as you said, they could do damage to the property along with not paying rent. So it could end up costing the landlord a great deal. It really can. And, you know, to give you another story of what happens, you have to be really tight on who's occupying the premises. Because we had uh, a story about a tenant who was a triple-A tenant, which means credit was great, job was great, perfect person. However, that person brought in a spouse over the term of the lease who was not a very good person. So, uh, you know, if someone is coming in, you should be 
conducting a search on the next person too before you allow them to go in and uh, and make sure that uh, they're the right tenants for your property still. And uh, so there's there's a lot that goes into it and a lot of protection mechanisms that you can have in place during the tenancy to make sure that uh, you're not going to get scammed. And I think often there's a misconception out there about landlords. They think they own multiple properties, multiple buildings, multiple developments, when sometimes it is just a single investment that they may have, a single property. So it really does have an impact on them as well when things go wrong. It sure does. And, you know, it could be the landlord having to rent out of necessity uh, just to make sure that they can cover their costs. You know, in a market like this, not every property is selling. So the landlord may be forced to rent it out uh, just to make ends meet. And if the tenant misses one month or even is late by 10 or 15 days or 20 days, it could cause a lot of grief because it could mean the landlord misses a mortgage payment and, and now there's serious problems for the landlord. There's also challenges sometimes when you are thinking about purchasing a property and there is already a tenant in the property. How do you handle those situations? And that's another problem that we're having right now is the rents have escalated so much that when a landlord is selling a property and the tenant has to move out, sometimes it's really hard for the tenant to find a place at the same rate that they're paying right now. And and a lot of tenants may not be able to afford more, uh, so they could be left homeless. So that is another prevalent problem, especially in an industry, in a market like this where rents have been going up 10, 15, 20% month over month, and it's leaving a lot of tenants in a, a very precarious situation. Our next question comes from Amr in Vaughan. He is a first-time home buyer and wants to know if there is more inventory for a larger condo or a smaller home or semi in York Region. Asif, what do you think? A great question, Amber. And right now, we have a lot of inventory, a lot more inventory, I should say, than we have in the past couple of years. Uh, we're looking at about two and a half months of inventory as opposed to 0.7 months of inventory a, a couple of years ago. So there is a lot more selection right now. There's not a lot of new larger condos. There's some older condo buildings that do have large units, but your best bet is probably going to be a small home or a semi if you're looking for a space. And do you think that this um, this listener should possibly wait until the spring where there might be more inventory out there? Or do you anticipate that it's likely going to be the same? Springtime is usually when a lot of the inventory does hit. I know there's a lot of people that are holding out for market conditions to improve before they list because, you know, the one thing is, especially in your region, there's no necessity for people to sell. So it's not like a typical recession where you have to sell. There's job losses. There's people that really need to get out of properties. You know, a lot of people have equity in their homes in York region. And so they're holding off until market conditions improve to be able to sell it again. Right now, there's a good window of opportunity for buyers to get into homes before that happens. So whether, you know, if the next interest rate hike is only 0.25% or, uh, you know, if they don't have a, an interest rate hike in the spring, that's really going to open up the floodgates. And then you'll be competing with all the buyers that are out there for these properties again. So there's a window of opportunity for buyers right now to try and get a deal. And you're going to get not only a good price on it, you're going to get conditions in there, like a financing condition or a home inspection condition, because 
the scary part about going into bidding wars and multiple offers is that you need the property to appraise. Otherwise, you have to put down a lot more money uh, in order to, to meet the bank's qualifications. So if you want to get out there and start shopping now, it's a good time. You've got a lot of selection out there, a lot more than usual. And even if market conditions do improve and, and there's more inventory in the spring, the buyers will also be out there. So you'll be competing. As a reminder, if you have questions for On the Market, hit send anytime to info at 1059theregion.com. But Asif, if our listeners prefer to contact you directly, how can they do that? Okay, they can call me at 416-985-5426. That's 416-985-CON. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Tina Cortez. Thank you for listening. Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca.